Welcome to What's on Your Souls, a relational podcast where you can relax and enjoy conversation, inspiration, encouragement, and motivation in a judgment-free space. Don't continue to drag around that emotional debris. Here's what's next on this episode. So we are going to talk a little bit. There is a book. um, The name of the book is Almost Gone, 25 Days and One Chance to Save Our Daughter. And this falls in line with the series we are on, it seems, pertaining to the care and keeping of young adults and how we navigate that as parents, whether we do that perfectly or not. But it's important to listen to the stories of other human beings because in that, you learn. Have a seat on the porch and let's examine what's on your soul, souls. Well, hello, this is Mia Embro, and I want to welcome everyone again to the What's on Your Soul podcast, a figurative podcast that talks about the things that we all struggle with and strive towards and want the best for and we try to do this in a safe way that makes all feel welcome and curious and inquisitive and walking away towards greater and with greater so we are so privileged to be here today it seems so last week um, or the last podcast was with Charlene Atkins and I did a podcast about the empty nest and we struggled with whether to call it one who flew over the cuckoo's nest or not but I wanted to be respectful to my role as a parent because I've tried my best so I didn't want to call myself a cuckoo but I did what we wanted to talk about in essence were all the things that we as parents kind of struggle with or think about when it's time to do the great release to launch our children now whether that is for college or just for life in general, or whatever their decisions are and whatever their bend is, how do we do that in truth and grace and um, allow them to do whatever they have been called to do? And so as it would be, God has blessed me. I mean, it's just always so, it feels random, but I know it's not random, but the people that he allows to come in front of me on my journey to help in this, what I feel is a calling, Uh, And for it to be so clear is always just amazing to me. I'm not surprised, but I'm always amazed. So today I have the privilege of sitting with Stephanie Baldwin. I'll tell you a short story about Stephanie and then I'll let Stephanie tell her rendition of this. So in my preparation for Donovan, as Tony and I were preparing to get Donovan for the great lease, the great launch, and this is not out, he graduated from college in May, but so this is for him to be like a grown person doing grown people things off of our payroll, just flying. We decided that we would help him and gift him in helping him set up his first place. So he just kind of said, I don't want to spend a a lot of money on this mom because I don't want the stress (laughs) of having to keep it and care. I just wanted to be comfortable. So I was looking around different places, and then I come across Stephanie Baldwin. And she, uh, just for the kick of it, I'll let her tell it, but she refinishes furniture and does like this beautiful, impeccable job. And I think I ended up first looking at like one piece, and then I ended up furnishing Donovan's entire apartment almost Mm -hmm. with Stephanie's work. So I know that I can be slow sometimes, so I figured that that was God's way of saying, pay attention to this person who was so warm, so inviting, so uh, just very in the details of what Donovan wanted and what would be pleasing to us. And um, that is not always common to find. So I knew that 
that was my love language and I needed to pay attention to this human being more than, uh, you know, just more than, uh, I usually do. And so it has been a privilege. And in our knowing one another, Stephanie was so kind to show, to share a part of her story, a part of her life that I think will serve the listeners extremely well. I know it will. And it will be a part of our conversation and dialogue about parenting young adults and the care and keeping of them and the corners, like the dust bunny corners, the things that we don't always think about, the rough part, the rough edges. And how do you navigate that with truth and grace and come out on the other side? And so we are privileged today to have Stephanie with us. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. What's your... I mean, did I dream that? What's your recount of how we met? No, actually, um, I mean, I, I try because I sell a lot of stuff on Craigslist and different things. And so when I meet people, I love to just have conversations with them. And I felt like when when you came by and we just clicked. And then when I found out what you did for a living, I just felt compelled to share our story with you. So I gave you a copy of the book. And um, you know, we, we met several times through that process. And I even told my husband later, I said, this lady's impressive. You would, I would really like for you to meet her. And I don't know that y'all actually ever got a chance to meet, but um, I was just impressed with you. And there was a, um, an aura about you that I just, I just felt the same as you did, that somehow we were meant to cross paths. Well, here we go. Mm-hmm. And that, even in that time, which is probably kind of strange when you just meet someone, and I probably was so forward as to, to ask Stephanie even then, will you be on the podcast? And she, she kind of agreed without really vetting me. So this is a great thing. So we are going to talk a little bit. There is a book that has come out of this, um, that Stephanie's husband, John, and her daughter, Mackenzie, wrote. Uh, And I'm going to let Stephanie tell the story when we come back from break. But the name of the book is Almost Gone, 25 Days and One Chance to Save Our Daughter. And this falls in line with the series we are on, it seems, pertaining to the care and keeping of young adults as we do the great launch or prepare them or when they're on the cusp of that and the things that can um, approach them and how we navigate that as parents, whether we do that perfectly or not. But it's important to listen to the stories of other human beings because in that you learn. So when we come back, Stephanie, we're going to jump right into your story. And, uh, We're looking forward to the lesson we're going to learn. We'll be right back. More conversation on the way from What's On Your Souls with Mia. In the meantime, if you have a comment, log on with your laptop or smartphone to MiaMbro.com. That's M-I-A-M-B-R-O-H.com. From the audio player, click the leave a comment link. Let your voice be heard. Now, back to more of What's On Your Souls. Okay. So we're back, and Stephanie, when we do this podcast, we always talk about being on the porch, taking our shoes off, kind of looking at what's on the bottom of our soles, like, you know, when you go to a home of someone, and sometimes they ask you to take your shoes off, and it's because wherever you've been, they don't want you to drudge that in to them. And of course now, so I want to say that's one of the things I remember about coming to your house. We were were in the midst of a pandemic. And I just remember how easy you were with that, like with us coming in and mm-hmm. welcoming us into your space. So we talk about emotionally and mentally and spiritually how we sometimes dredge things into spaces and we don't vet it and we don't talk about it. So in this moment, I want you to be totally candid and open okay. and say, this is what we know now. This is what John and I have learned. This is what Mackenzie has learned. Um, and just be free to tell your story. So you ready? Sure. Okay. 
You're ready to go. All right. So let me just give you kind of the two-minute recap of the story. And it all started, uh, my daughter, Mackenzie, had always been a very, uh, I would call her self-confident individual, dated a lot through high school, had a great group of friends, grades were pretty good, always, you know, Miss Social, always out doing things. And then her senior year, suddenly all of that changed. And in a matter of just a few months, her demeanor, her outlook on life, her hobbies, her friends, boyfriend was gone, everything about her, grades were falling, everything was different. And we were looking desperately to find out what was causing that, what was at the the root of that. Were you asking her, like, were you saying anything to her yes. about that? Yes. And, of course, she denied it. And, and, you know, things like, well, how come you don't hang out with your friends anymore? I, you know, they're all immature. I don't like them anymore. I don't, I don't like doing those kind of things. And things that she had looked forward to her whole life, like going to the prom, she just skipped. You know, and it was just so out of character that we could not figure out why she had suddenly switched like that. And it was a 14-month ordeal where we were trying to figure all of this out. And fortunately, by the grace of God, she had as many friends as she had. She had three friends that truly, truly loved her and put their love of her as a friend over the friendship. What does that mean, Stephanie? To me, that means she had told some friends a little bit about what was going on behind the scenes, which I will share with you in a moment. And threatened all of them, right? If you tell anybody, I'll never speak to you again. If you tell anybody, you let my parents know, I won't be your friend anymore. And in high school, that's a big thing. Huge you know, thing. The, the peer pressure of high school. And so she had said that to these girls. But at one point, these all three of these girls within, I think, three days of each other, finally said, I love my friend more than I love having this friendship. If I don't do anything and something happens to her, I can't live with myself. Were those friends speaking to one another? Did those two of them knew each other? The third was the two of them were from an organization that she was involved with mm-hmm. with my husband. The other one was from school. Very brave. And they all went through their parents and said, "We need you to call the Baldwins and let them know what's going on." And those parents, all three, were brave enough and willing enough to pick up the phone and make a very difficult phone call. You know what's scary about that is I have heard different renditions of that scenario, not pertaining to you personally, where people wrestle with, do I or do I not mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. something? Mm-hmm. And what are the repercussions of that? And will they be mad at me? And right. what if their child denies it? Or right. what if the parent says, I already know and we're good with that? Right. So this is very interesting to hear yeah. that, each of those of the three decided we're going for it. We're going to make the call. Yeah. And two of them knew my husband through that organization. So they, mm-hmm. you know, they had their, each other's cell phones yes. and their numbers in their cell phones. The, the mother who called me, Madison's mom, I had met her one time in passing, literally just kind of introduced to her and we kept going. So for her to make that phone call to what was essentially a stranger, you know, was very risky on their part. But they all took the stance, if we're wrong, Maybe we're a little embarrassed, but if we're right, we may have saved a life or at least changed the course of a life. Okay. You ready to tell the story? Yes. Okay. So on May 14th, 2014, May 13th, my husband gets a phone call. He's on a business trip in the phone call from those parents that said, we need you to know what's going on. Mackenzie is involved in an online relationship with someone from overseas. Turns out it was Kosovo, and she is planning to, without your knowledge, leave the country and go be with him. Well, of course, as shocked as we were, the blessing and all that was all the pieces of the last 14 months suddenly fell into place. 
And as much as we would love to have said, there's no way that's happening, because everything fell into place, we knew then at least what we were up against. Because up until then, we were fighting ghosts. We didn't really know what was, you know. You knew something was off. Absolutely. That she had changed. Yes. That it wasn't normal, but it was something other than just normal. It's It was far more than just when kids get to that point of trying to separate from mom right. and dad and establish their own independence. It was far more than that. Everything, her faith, everything was turned upside down. And so, I mean, we searched her room. We did all kinds of crazy stuff to try to figure it out. And when they finally told us what was going on, it all made sense. The scary part was it turns out we had 25 days from that day to the time she was going to board a plane. That's the name of the book, right? So tell me what happens after someone calls you and says, this is our concern, this is the information our children have received about your children. Because even though we're talking about McKinsey and we're talking about this story, it is applicable to so many different scenarios Mm -hmm. in people's lives, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where people are coming forth and saying, we see this, we've heard this, right? Yes. Um, So I know why you and John decided, because you had already been watching long enough to say this makes sense. What happens after people come and tell you something like that? Well, once my husband got back to town, it was about a 24-hour trip for him to get back. And I think that was a blessing, too, because it gave us time to get our head around it. Because had he been in town, we probably would have confronted her that night. Absolutely. And and everything would have blown up. And one of the complicating factors we had was she was already 18. So we had somewhat limited legal control, right? Okay, talk about that a little bit, because this is educational, too, right? So once you say... Mackenzie was 18 at that point. What does that mean? That means she can buy a plane ticket and have her passport and go wherever she wants. Without you having any authority or ability right. to intervene. I can stand at the airport and scream and holler that she's going into danger and there's nothing anyone can do. Okay. So that was one of the obstacles. And that was one of the reasons we knew once John got here, and, and we, we've been married for, at that time, 29 years. We have a pretty strong communication with each other. And it gave us time to, you know, Pull our, pull our chairs up together and say, okay, what are we going to do? We knew Mackenzie well enough to know that if we confronted her being 18, she would probably bolt right then. And she had told her friends, if my parents found out, I'm leaving the next day. Um, she already had arrangements to get to the airport. She had it all planned out. And so I think that 24 hours really was a blessing for us to get our head around. We need to attack this differently than just confronting her on it. Because we really had two problems. First problem was stopping her which we could physically do that once, right? But the bigger problem was stopping her willingness and wanting to go because we can cast a net on her and eventually she's going to get out from under our our constraints, right? And she would be able to leave. Um, So we we went to some friends who were, um, we knew that Steve was um, in security. He worked out at the airport and we thought maybe, you know, he would know how to help us. So through a series of him putting us in contact with different people, and we had several people suggest FBI or Homeland Security because we knew McKenzie might listen to someone like that more. You know, they get to that point where Isn't mom and dad don't know anything, you right? You know absolutely nothing. And so we tried, we tried that. And after ser- several series of people making phone calls on our behalf and putting us in touch with people, we ended up being able to work with the FBI that was out at the airport. And we met a man, Kevin Sheridan, who to this day – we consider a friend, and he was the lead agent. Um, after several weeks of orchestrating a lot of things, it ultimately 
came down to what was essentially an intervention where they came to my home, sat around the dining room table. I went and got Mackenzie from school. The last day after she took her last final, I met her at the car and brought her home. Now, the funny thing was, being 18, you know, kids, how many times do they throw up to you? I'm 18, you can't tell me what to do. So when she's saying, why, why is the FBI at my house? Of course, I'd been instructed not to tell her why they were there. I said, well, I don't know, honey, you're 18. They won't talk to me. <laughs> so it kind of... You did a little twisting of the yes, mirror. It yes, kinda, yes, It kind of gave me an out. Yes. yes. Um, but they were phenomenal. It was three of them that were there. They were phenomenal in the way they worked with her. Everything from scaring her and us... We were supposed to act like this was the first we knew. They were all it. men? All men. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying things. They, they talked about her Miranda rights, and they would use those if they had to and all that. And then one, the man sitting to, at the end says, Mackenzie, we bring girls home like you every day in a body bag. In my heart, I mean, I kind of knew that in my head. I knew we were in a dangerous situation. But to actually hear that from him just crushed me. And we also had this, I think, secret hope maybe that somehow she had an explanation for all this and it wasn't what we thought. But as she began to tell them and answer their questions and it became very clear, of course, she's crying. She's apologizing to us. That this is the first, you know, the way she's told us, but it all became clear that it was, it was as we had been told. Now that intervention lasted almost three hours, I believe. They went from the harsh, you know, we bring you can bring girls home in body bags, all the way to more of a fatherly, Mackenzie, we're here to help you. This is dangerous. This is not what you think it is, and kind of walking through all of that. Um, I felt like it was a very good orchestrated meeting, and it was in a lot of ways. But as, as the meeting ended, Mackenzie had gotten her bearings about her, and now she's angry. Right, because now she's clear. <laughs> she's stabilized. Right, Correct. Right. And so she starts the lashing out. She goes straight up the stairs, calls him. Oh, he denies it all, you know, that kind of thing. Over the next few days, we were able to finally t- turn her where she no longer insisted on going there. She recognized the danger, but she then flipped it to, he needs to come to America. Oh, so she was taken. She was, she had taken the Kool-Aid. She was. Oh, she was, she was. Had even per- tried to purchase a plane ticket at one point. In time. Okay, we're going to come back. We're in suspense, but we're going to be right back. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to continue with the story. More conversation on the way from What's on Your Souls with Mia. In the meantime, if you have a comment, log on with your laptop or smartphone to miaembro.com. That's M-I-A-M-B-R-O-H.com. From the audio player, click the Leave a Comment link. Let your voice be heard. Now, back to more of What's on Your Souls. Okay, we're back on the porch. This is compelling, and we are grateful, and we are humbled um, by Stephanie, John, and Mackenzie, and their family and the willingness to share this story for the betterment of others. And um, so now I think what um, I would want to know and what I think most people would want to know is what was the process? Like, how did this happen? What was the setup? from what you know. Okay. Um, in talking with Mackenzie long through this whole process, uh, we've kind of boiled it down to the best we can articulate how he was able to pull her in. As I said at first, Mackenzie was very outgoing, very self-confident, very strong-willed girl. And if you'd have asked me, would she ever be drawn to something like that? I would have said absolutely not. 
First of all, she dated some in high school. She was not a little wallflower that had never been old and date, never been told she was pretty and was starved for attention, which is the the kind of what profile I would have written. Profile, right. right. Um, so I would have said, well, she would never go with an online boyfriend. That would just be and I do think completely that not satisfying. I think that's important that we say that, that we set that uh, in tone with that with being as honorable is that Mackenzie uh, was living a nice life. She lived in a nice, uh, had her mom and dad, a full, you know, the full, what everyone stable would, stable, stable, yeah. stability and all of that, um, school, like you said, outgoing, popular. So there wasn't this vying need that she was trying to get met. Right. Right. Like, from the outside. Right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, but some of the tactics that he used, I'll walk you through. First, we like to use the phrase that he eroded her foundation. So most of us would say our foundation is our family and our friends, and for most many of us, it's also our faith. And I'll give you an example how it kind of worked, okay? So how he kind of began to isolate her through that process with regard to her family. They would be Skyping back and forth, so they were always, you know, you could see video of each other. And he would say, you know, I don't think your family understands you. They're not, they're not letting you grow up or something, you know, you're trying to keep you a little girl. And she said, no, that's not true. Don't, don't say that. He'd say, okay. A few weeks would go by, and maybe she had an argument with me or with John. So she's on back on Skype with him, and she's complaining and venting about how unfair we are, or, you know, she's being mistreated. And this man, who we call Adam, would say, well, see, I told you they didn't understand you. And in that moment of frustration or anger or resentment or whatever she was dealing with against us, she started thinking, you know what, maybe you're right. Maybe they don't understand me. So that first little wedge then got put between her and the family. And then he would just hammer on that over time, and it just would get like wider kind of and wider. Just like project, right? Correct. Just a little bit at a time. Yes. Did the same type process with her friends. Um, you know, maybe they're not good enough for you. They're immature. Why are you hanging around with them? And the same kind of wedge would get placed there. And with regard to her faith, she grew up in the church. He was Muslim, and he started asking her questions about difficult topics in the Christian faith, like the Trinity. And as she said now, she says now, I knew the Sunday school answers. I knew vacation Bible school. I could Google a few things here and there. But a lot of those questions are difficult. Absolutely. And she didn't have enough basis, even though she'd grown up in church, to be able to, fle- to deflect. She hadn't gone to seminary and taken apologetics. Exactly, exactly. And so she got all twisted up and tangled and started moving away from her faith because she no longer understood it. Okay, and couldn't didn't feel comfortable Absolutely. that it was that it was for her. Um, so that was kind of the eroding the foundation. Suddenly, you you wake up and she's distant from her family, pushed away all of her friends, doesn't have her faith to rely on anymore. So she has now become kind of isolated. She's untethered and she's isolated. Correct. How old is it? Do you know how old this gentleman? Is? He was twenty three and she was eighteen. Okay. Um, and then he began to test her commitment to him. So it started with, "Hey, Mackenzie, next summer, which was a year away." I'm going to come to the United States. I'll come to Dallas. Would you meet me for dinner or meet me for coffee? And she said, well, we're still talking that far out. Yeah, sure. Why not? So they go a few months with that. And then he says, you know what? I don't have enough money when I get there to come down to Texas. So I've got to stay in the New York area. Would you come to New York? She hesitates for a while and thinks it through and finally says, well, you know, it's a it'll be the summer after my senior year. I might can make a girl's trip out of it and a bunch of us go to New York and kind of have a weekend. So yeah, maybe, you know, kind of make that work. So they go with that for a while. 
then after, you know, and he's drawing her in all this time. Now she's starting to feel emotions toward him and, and love, Absolutely. so to speak. Because he's paying attention, right? Yes. Yeah. And so then he says, oh, Mackenzie, I don't have enough money to, to come to New York. But I know you, Mackenzie, are going to Switzerland this summer, which was true to visit a friend. How about I just meet you in Switzerland? Well, then it becomes romantic, right? Oh, we'll go hiking and we'll, you know. We're in the Alps. Switzerland, Switzerland is just this a is wonderful great. place. It's beautiful. Yeah. So she ultimately agrees to that. And then the final punch comes when he says, I don't have enough money to go to Switzerland. I know we love each other and all, and if, but if we're going to be together, you're going to have to come here. So at first she says, absolutely not. Then she looks around and remember the isolation. She no longer, in her Nobody, mind, has her family and her else. friends. So I got nothing keeping me here. Okay, I'll go. So that's kind of that breadcrumb trail just to see how close I can get you to come to me and how, how vested you are. You know, what's this. interesting about that, so while that is happening, while he is systemically doing that to her, like it's like they're going in opposing forces, right? Mm-hmm. So he's continually gathering information because he's astute, mm-hmm. and he's, he, that is his prowlessness and his manipulation is he, she has given him enough information, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to Switzerland, and then you're right. like, oh, we're in, right? right? right. So, you're, so then you kind of know what you can do with that, and that in and of itself almost gives more information about this child is obviously well taken care of, uh-huh. financially has access to means or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so has then, a passport. Has a passport, you know? right? Mm-hmm. So then he continues, he manipulates that. Mm-hmm. But in her, like, innocence and mm-hmm. naivete or whatever, mm-hmm. it means something. It's interesting to me. She's going up, and it's almost like he's coming down. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. the perfect storm. Yes. Um, another tech that he would use is, the way I phrase it, is he was using controlling behavior, which is, to me and to you, looking in would be very obvious, but to her, it was sweet because he's overprotective. Yeah. So just he loves those, me. those innocent 17, 18 year old eyes looking at it. So, for example, she worked down the street at the Sonic, get off at midnight, should be home at 12.05. If she wasn't texting him at like 12.07 because she walked in the door and we're sitting in the living room and we're talking to her, her phone is blowing up in her pocket and he's angry with her. Do you know that her phone is blowing? No. Can you hear it vibrating no. or anything? No. Okay. This is, we found all this out later, of course. But, you know, that the controlling behavior of you will call me when I tell you to call me. You will wear what I tell you to wear. You'll eat what I tell you to eat. Which feels sweet at first, right? Mm-hmm. And endearing when mm-hmm. you're, right? If you don't know that, it's like someone is totally focused right. on me. He loves me. He, right? He loves me. And then the last thing that, that I always try to stress is the patience that these predators use. For Mackenzie, it was a process of 14 months, and she was completely concerned. You know, this can't be bad. Look how much time he spends with me. This has to be real. I've talked to girls that have talked to these men for years. There was a 16-year-old that was preparing to leave to go, I forget what country it was, to go be with this man. She had been talking to him for five years. So you do the math. She started talking to the same individual at 11 years old. Isn't that interesting? So then that makes it even to some more romantic, right? Mm-hmm. And requited love. Like you're waiting for that. But right. it, when you're speaking that, Stephanie, what I think of is it's almost like a hunter, right? Mm-hmm. When hunters talk about we're going back every season mm-hmm. in order to conquer this or a fisherman uh, will say we will sit and wait for this particular thing. And mm-hmm. there's something about maybe it's from the time our children watch Disney or whatever, mm-hmm. Right. Is that it's all romantic? Yes, yeah, someone's pursuing and coming to yep. you to get you, and yep. it takes time mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's not an, there's not enough conversations about dispelling that myth. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so then you can, it's a setup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is why, so when, when McKenzie's not allowed to speak anymore because of her um, employment, but um, when we used to speak and would, and she would talk to the youth, there were several points she tried to drive home with them to, um, I guess, counter some of those techniques I just went through. And one would be to, to, to try to get these young adults and youth to recognize it is so easy to underestimate the risk you are taking when you start talking to someone online and overestimate your ability to handle it. So she used to think, well, if he gets creepy or if he gets to be a problem, I'll just turn him off. I'll just block him. I'll just whatever. I'll just shut the computer. I'll just stop. But once enough time goes by and you're thinking everything's fine and you think I can handle it, well, suddenly there's feelings. Because then you get wound around the axle, right? Yes. It's like a vine around it, right? Yes. Then you can't, it overtakes you. Right. So they do. They underestimate the risks from the very beginning and then overestimate their ability to handle it because then emotions get involved. The other thing is to recognize that he is, he's not only the constant, but in many ways, or in fact, the only filter for anything that you know about him. So I've heard girls before say, oh, yeah, but he's told me even some bad things about himself. Well, but is that all? Is that all the bad things about him? Or is that the whole story? Or, you know, what do you know? Because if you're dating someone in real life, you run into other friends that he knows. They or say, oh, I to... know him. And let, yeah. I remember him from grade school. Yeah. But he is controlling all the information. All the information. That is coming to Right. You. And so if, you're, if you do nothing but believe what he tells you, well, he's made himself to be exactly what you want. Yeah. And they're, they're masterful at getting, um, for example, they'll get on Facebook. Let, let's say they found out she goes to Plano West. You can get on Facebook and find out, oh, it's prom season. And then suddenly that becomes, it'll come up in the conversation. The girl says, oh, it's my prom season too. And they start talking about that. Or you're into cheerleading or you're into football or whatever to just keep that conversation going. And suddenly you, you feel like you're soulmates. You have so much in common because we talk about so much stuff that I'm interested in. But it's all been manipulation, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. And then you even think about the desperation of a person that has that kind of time to study right. a human being like that. Right. Yeah. And the other thing we try to stress with um, girls in particular, it's, it can also be boys as well, but when suddenly you find yourself to where everything is different now, right? You've, you've abandoned all of your friends. You're not interested in the same hobbies anymore. You don't, you don't want any of that old life, so to speak, and you find yourself where all you believe is he, this one person, he is the only person who understands me. Nobody else understands me. That should be a red flag, number one. And second of all, you, we try to get these kids to back up and say, you know, your family and your friends that have been there your entire life have your best interest at heart. So don't let someone who's new to your life separate you from all of that and convince you that he understands you better than your mom or your sister or your best friend that you've had since first grade. You know what's hard about that? I'm thinking about that, Stephanie, is... It is so um, wise and true what you're saying, but there is this. So with your family, with your parents, with your siblings, you know that they love you. You know that they are for you, but you also have these little tiffs with them, right? When you're thinking, 
if they would only understand. And all of that is developmental. And we talk about the brain and how it's not fully developed until age 25 when it can comes to the ability to have complete rational thought. And even then, because I'm way past 25, it gets a little shaky, but being able to do that. But then you get this person. It's, it is like the fairy tale we talked about, that they're always for you. Mm-hmm. And they say they're always thinking of you. So it almost sounds as if you are saying, and you tell me if I'm wrong, if you get that, that's probably too good to be true. When it's always for you, uh, that person is always for you and telling you that everyone else is against you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But that's hard. What well, we know that that is hard because now you are like a tangled vine, right? Mm-hmm. You you want it to be true, mm-hmm. and you're kind of enmeshed in it. And you want to grow up and, you and make your own decisions. And you're thinking, I and somehow you're thinking, I know something my family, my parents don't even know. Right. I have found the one. Mm-hmm. Like I am about to show. And them. especially if he's a little bit older, that's really kind of romantic and kind of sexy in the high school, right? Yeah. I'm I'm dating a 23 year old, and he's in Europe. And then you, you know. fall to all of that, right? Mm-hmm. When you forget that we are all grading. Okay, so we're going to come back in just a moment, and then we're going to do your like wrap up moments. What okay. you, what you and John and Mackenzie would say at the end of the day. This is what we want everyone to know and realize. Okay. Okay. We'll be right back. More conversation on the way from what's on your souls with Mia. In the meantime. If you have a comment, log on with your laptop or smartphone to MiaMbro.com. That's M-I-A-M-B-R-O-H.com. From the audio player, click the leave a comment link. Let your voice be heard. Now, back to more of What's on Your Souls. Okay, we're back on the porch and we're so grateful. We are learning. We are growing. We are appreciative uh, for so many things. For McKenzie's life for her well-being, for her family, and just so many people around it that just stepped in and stepped up. Uh, And we are learning. So now I think, Stephanie, where we will go with this um, is what is the advice and the wisdom for parents? Okay. So one of the things John and I have done is reflect a lot on that to try to figure out, you know, why this happened in our family. And one of the things we, we... both like to say, because we both grew up in similar families. Our parents have been married 50, 60 years, you know, very stable environment. And so we, when we first started having kids, we said, we'll raise our kids the way we were raised. We turned out fairly okay, so we'll kind of raise them that way, right? And what we didn't really think through and realize was there are several things that are different in raising kids today than they were in the way we were raised. And just as we were talking on the break, social media and all the pressures that come along with that. They're digital natives. Yeah and, yeah, and that's something we don't really understand from my generation. To me, it's kind of like, well, it's fun to do, but surely... With it. We can live with it or without it. Exactly, yes. right. So we didn't really understand that. And then, you know, you're younger than me, but you might remember this. When, when I was a kid and I wanted to call someone in another city, what, what was that called? Long-distance. Long-distance phone call. Yeah. And that showed up on my parents' bill, yeah, it did. and I had to explain that. Yes, you did. You know? Well, nowadays... Cell phones can reach anybody in the world. So that's not even a way for parents to know that's going on anymore. That's not, for, that's not a way for any relationship to know what's going on. Right. 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 And then lastly, we realized when we were kids, we had no privacy. If I wanted to talk to somebody <laughs> on the phone, I was lucky if I had a long cord. What is privacy? could go to you another to room. The, ex- the extended version of the cord, which cost extra. Yes. Right? Yes. And then it could go through several rooms. And, yeah. But and, you could see it. And if I could get it and shut the door behind me, that's about the most privacy I could get. But what do we do today? We give kids sometimes in elementary school 
a phone that can reach anybody in the world, and they have complete privacy because they can call from a friend's house, the schoolyard, the car, wherever they want to call from. And so I think those are things that we as parents have to really recognize are different today and perhaps compared to the way we were raised. Yeah. And we, have to, we can't ignore it and kind of like say, well, I can live without it or with it, so they can too. It's not that way. It's a huge part of their life. Um, but some things I would tell for parents with regard to technology, certainly there's all kinds of technology out there now that you can track what's going on digitally and all that kind of stuff. Certainly use all of that. I don't know that one's better than another. It changes by the day. Use all of that. Be involved. But don't rely on that as your whole safeguard, which is partly what John and I did. Okay, we had parental controls on the computers. We had the rules where you couldn't take the computer upstairs. We had all of that. And, and we had the software on it to track that. The problem was, even though we did have conversations with our kids about don't go to chat rooms and don't talk to strangers and all that kind of stuff, they didn't connect that with what they do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. They didn't connect it with social media kind of things. And we kind of felt like we've said it to you. The school has said it to you. I'm sure the youth group at church has said it to you. We've got it tied down with all this technology, so we're kind of okay. But when kids circumvent that technology or it fails for whatever reason, they've got to have that knowledge and understanding and foundation that was better than what Mackenzie had because she fell immediately to, I can handle this, not recognizing the risk she was taking, and if it gets dicey, I'll just handle it. So what do you do as a parent? How do, you, how do you make sure that you've spoken to it in the way you need to? I think you have to talk to it more than just words like don't talk to strangers and bad things happen. I think you have to give your kids you know, real-life examples, news stories that really happened. That's Mackenzie, I mean, every time, almost without exception, when we have spoken to youth, she and I together or she alone, someone will come up to her afterwards or reach out to her on social media, and they're doing the very similar thing. It is rampant. And until they hear it from someone real life and hear these tactics and hear these processes these predators use and can see, oh, my gosh, that's what he's doing to me, they don't see it. Isn't that interesting? I, always, I think in every area and facet of our life, until you hear someone tell their story, you get to make up your own narrative mm -hmm. on who they are, mm -hmm. right? So you have to have a person tell their story and hear it and seek understanding and perspective taking, right? right? Suspend judgment so that you truly then can get, this could be me too. Right, right. And you start okay. seeing yourself in that. Yeah. Um, but some messages I would have to parents in particular. Okay. okay, first of all, if your child comes to you with something, we talked earlier about making that phone call. I would encourage you to make the phone call. Okay. okay? And, and what I would say to you as well is you don't have to have the answer. None of these people that called said, hey, this is going on. This is what you need to do. Their, their first um, or purpose in making the phone call was to make us aware. We linked many other links in the chain to get where we needed to go, each person just pushing us a little further down until we got to Kevin Sheridan, the FBI agent, that had the answer that we needed. Okay. But too many times I think parents think, or, or people as, as general think, I don't know what to tell them to do, so I'm not going to get involved. You're saying just tell them what you know. Tell them what you know. Push it down the road a little bit. Just keep kicking Kick the, can. the rock right okay. down the road. Let's go. Okay. Um, secondly, understand this can happen in any family. Like I said, 
I would have never dreamed that could happen in my family. We were not going through a divorce. We were not going through some crisis in the family that Mackenzie was looking for attention. Um, I still don't know, other than he was able to execute these tactics so well, why she fell for that. I would have never thought she could have. So don't discount and say, well, my kid wouldn't have done that. I like to use the phrase, don't burn the bridge with your child. And what I mean by that is sometimes in these heated arguments, these frustrating moments when, you know, when we were just at our wits end, it's really easy to say something that you later that you would later regret. And we tried, John and I often tag teaming. When I would get to that point, I would let him kind of take over or vice versa. Like wrestling, right? You just tag him yes. out. You just punch yes. him on the to, arm. Yes, to get to a point where you, you don't want to get to a point where you say something you regret, like get out of my house. Or how, who are you? How could right. you? You're embarrassing me. How could you possibly do this? Do you know this? all that we've done for you? Yes. Because, and the thing I kept having in my mind was someday she's going to wake up. And I want her to be able to come back home, so to speak, and not have to come crawling back with hat in hand and apologizing. Just come back. We'll deal with all that. And if you're dealing with drugs or alcohol, there are parameters. Of course, you know, in your line of work, there's parameters you have to put around sometimes before you just let somebody come back in, right? But as far as knowing you're loved and knowing you are welcome and being part of this family and we want you as part of this family, we never wanted that to be in doubt. Never wavers, never questions. Right. Right, and that's hard. It's easier said than done because my temper would flare as well. And and kids, as you know, know how to poke those buttons. Well, they've been with you all their life. And they know what gets under your skin, and right? And you are, you are great and greatly flawed too. So it's their stuff kind of combining with your stuff. Right, so, yeah. right. Um, another thing is, and I was telling someone this just yesterday, actually, who's dealing with a problem with her son, as long as... Whatever decisions you're making at the time you're making out of love for that child, it's not a wrong decision. You may later think, I could have done something different, but when you're faced with that fork in the road and you have to decide left or right, when you put that child's well-being first or that student or that young adult and you make the decision based on that, it can't be a wrong decision. Oh, that's, I think that's going to save a lot of hearts and minds. Stephanie, is there any one last thing you want to say? As that you're like, this is what we need to know for sure. Yeah. Um, some things that I learned through the process. First of all, Christ is there. When I was in my darkest moment and I couldn't feel him nor hear him nor think he was there, he was there all along putting people in place to help us as time progressed. People can make a profound difference in someone else's life just by taking, it can be a small step, making a phone call, putting you in touch with someone else can make a profound difference in the whole trajectory of someone's life. That's big, right? Because people will say they don't understand that sometimes people are put right before you for a reason and a lesson. Right. Um, and you have to pay attention. Right. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, just from our experience with this, I would say that love and forgiveness can overcome huge barriers it, within a family, within a friendship. You know, But Mackenzie and we are all fully restored Everybody's fully happy. She's she's moved on with her life. It took her a while to kind of get some traction, get past that. But but we don't look through that prism every time I see her anymore, where I'm thinking about what happened. And that took a lot of love and forgiveness to overcome those barriers. But but it is possible. What in the world? This is probably going to turn into a TV show, right? Production. This was this was just awesome. 
I'm overwhelmed with this. This is great. Thank you, Stephanie Baldwin. Thank you for having me. I have some prompts for you, uh, and this helps those that are listening just kind of lean in a little bit more to who comes to the porch and says yes and sits down with us and imparts their wisdom. Uh, the first prompt is, I am from, and you will now tell me sights, sounds, and smells from your childhood. Sights, sounds, and smells. Well, I grew up in a town over in Louisiana similar to Tyler, Texas. And um, we there's a river running right through the town, the Washita River, and we spent a lot of time on that river, skiing and doing that kind of thing. And and I think those childhood memories of that and late, sitting on the levee and watching fireworks and that kind of stuff are just things that I just treasure from from my childhood as things that I remember and those sights and smells. What about um, favorite foods? Oh, French fries, of course. <laughs> Any kind of special French fries, like McDonald's French fries? No, or? just I'll, I'll eat a potato just about any way you can make it. <laughs> but between French fry and and then Mexican food is is my you're good to all go time go to. All right, yes. then you're gonna yes. live some years, right? Uh, <laughs> what about family sayings, or word or words or mottos, or just little quips that were said in your family of origin? Um, can't really think of a particular phrase. But I do know, I would say this, whenever I have talked about my parents and even John's parents, the one thing I would say about them, and I've said this to many people, my parents were the same, whether they were at church, at home, at work, they were consistent. And so were John's. And so what you met at work and the way they acted at work was what you saw at home. And I saw that demonstrated in my family from very beginning of time. And my parents were not two-faced in any way. They didn't scream and have, you know, brawls at home and then go to church and try to act like everything's okay. Everything was consistent. Isn't that interesting when we're talking about social media and this whole series we're doing now for young adults, um, like remaining the same, mm-hmm. being consistent mm-hmm. and not having to alter who you are. Right. Um, and then the last thing is I am from, and you now will list virtues of people that you respect or that you love or that you call friends that are consistent, you're like, this is the consistent virtue that people that I am drawn towards possess. I'm trying to think of my circle of friends right now that I that I deal with, and, and I think honesty and authenticness, that's a word. Um, you know, we all have dirty laundry, right? And choosing who you share that laundry with. Um, but when someone trusts me enough to share something with me, and ask my advice on, and we kick things around, I treasure that, you know, and I think, and I can trust them when I share something with them that they're not going to go post it on social media or go tell somebody, and and I think that's, I, I just treasure that, and I think that's one of the, one of the most things I look for in someone. Well, Stephanie Baldwin, I don't even know how to quantify or to like put, frame this out to thank you for what it means uh, not only to me, but what I know it means for everybody. And the fact that you and I met, so Stephanie and I probably live uh, less than five miles apart, but um, the fact for whatever reason that that interaction led to this moment, I'm always grateful. I'm always cognizant of that and aware of that and humbled by it. But thank you for everything. I want to thank John and Mackenzie, your family, for um, allowing you to just continually share th- this story mm-hmm. because it changed, it changes so many lives. And I think sometimes we get a little lax and we think, like you said, not my kid, 
this couldn't happen. Do you know who we are? Mm-hmm. Right. right. <laughs> Do you know what, what we have, where we've been? And um, it's no respecter of person in that way. And so I'm so grateful for you all taking what could have been such a tragedy and turning it into such a gift to people. Mm-hmm. And I thank you for coming to the porch with me and sitting down uh, and saying yes in the midst of your life. I'm so grateful. And both Stephanie and I, uh, our prayer is that everyone, that this there has been something relevant and meaningful and purposeful to you and that in some way it is life-giving. We are so grateful that you've taken the time to listen. This is a little bit longer uh, than our usual podcast, but I'm clear that this is a gift. And so um, our earnest desire and prayer for you is that you find rest for your soul. Thank you. As we bring another episode to a close, we want to thank you and check out our website at miaembro.com. That's M-I-A-M-B-R-O-H.com. Leave us a message or feedback. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast to receive the latest episodes. And join us next time as we discuss what's on your souls.